Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, good morning, beloved. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, I want to start this morning with um, several words of thank you. Uh, We have been, my wife and girls and I, we have been uh, so warmly welcomed by you and so uh, richly cared for by you. Uh, It's a good thing that the weight limits for airplanes are attached to to the baggage and not the person. But we have eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten and been so well, well welcomed by you all. You all have been so gracious and so hospitable, even now to the singing. That last song reminds me so much of the little churches that uh, we, we know in North Carolina, um, churches where our parents attend and uh, just the singing of that last song just felt so familiar to us. And so we have we have felt so at home. My girls have have run around Northern Ireland free and happy. We don't have much grass in the Cayman Islands, much much greenery on the ground at least, and so they've been just fascinated with the grass. And I woke up these last two mornings and looked for the girls in their bedrooms, and they've not been there, only to discover them outside barefooted, turning cartwheels in the grass and having a good time. And uh, we're just so thankful. We're thankful for your prayers. They're, um, they're acutely aware have felt the effect of your prayers for us uh, in the morning time, in the prayer time, and your prayers with us for Cayman and Jamaica and uh, the Caribbean islands as they are looking at Hurricane Gustav. I mean, in all these ways and in so many others that that are too many to count, uh, you guys have just been so wonderful. And uh, we just thank the Lord for the opportunity to to get to, to know this part of his vineyard and to get to know uh, you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, I'm so thankful for you being here during these readings. I understand from my wife that there is uh, some young ladies who've, who've been driving each morning about 100 miles, I think, coming out and participating with us in, in God's word. And I'm just so thankful for your faithfulness and the encouragement it's been to open his word with you, to look out on your faces, to see you um, delighting in Christ and delighting in his word to us. So, Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's pray before we turn to God's word again. Indeed, Lord, it would seem that thank you is too frail for acknowledging your many and wonderful benefits and blessings to us. We do thank you, Lord, for we, we, we are grateful. We are humbled by your love. We, Lord, are made sensitive to your, the greatness of your love as we contemplate your forgiveness, and your adoption, as we think, O oh Lord, of your mercy and your many blessings, as we think, Father, especially about your Son, whom you have freely given to us in the gospel and with him have given us all things all things that pertain to life and godliness, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Oh Lord, when we think of your love, we, we can but say thank you. Thank you for your word. Speak to us, O oh Lord, glorious things from your word. 
even speak to us things that are too wonderful for us to comprehend, that we might marvel at you afresh, that we might stand in awe of your glorious splendor, and we might be, as it were, raptured up into your beauty. Bless us with eyes that see, with ears that hear, with hearts that, that pulsate for you. Strengthen our love for you by your word and by the fellowship of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have now in these five mornings been considering Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10. Those latter verses in Matthew 9 and, and the entirety of chapter 10. And we've come this morning to consider the last few verses in chapter 10. We have, as we've gone through these verses, been attempting, as it were, to, to get in our view more of Jesus, to see Christ and to, to savor him, to do as the, as the scripture enjoys us, enjoins us to do, to taste and to see that the Lord is good. So we've been trying to look upon Christ, and, and as we've looked upon Christ, we have tried to see different aspects of his character and how his, his own character fuels the work of missions, how it informs what we do as his people in the carrying of the gospel to lands that do not know him. So in those, first, those last few verses in Matthew chapter 9, we, we were attempting to see Christ in his compassion. How he looked upon sheep lost and harassed and, and how his overwhelming response was compassion, mercy in action. And it's Jesus' mercy which drives us to pray for the work of missions, that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the field. And then we came to consider those, those first 15 verses of Matthew chapter 10. And, and there what we see coupled together with Jesus' compassion is we see his authority. That this merciful God is a God of all power. He rules. The Savior has authority over sickness and disease. Authority over the spiritual realm of, of, of demons and angels. And authority over death and life itself. And it's in that authority that we go out and minister. We go out in the work of missions under the banner of heaven with the blessing and the imprimatur of the sovereign king himself. It's his seal and his command that we bear. And we came to consider verses 16 down to verse 31 and and there we saw something striking. We saw that this, this compassionate Lord with all authority sends his people out into this harvest field, into a hostile field where they shall be persecuted and face opposition. He does that because of the great value of souls and, and he does that because he is central to our lives the center of the universe, at the center of all creation, at the center of our affection, at the center of our activity is this towering, looming, all-powerful, gracious, and loving Savior. We are united to him 
And it's no longer we who live, but but it's he who lives in us. So that the life we live, we now live it by the Son of God. And so we go out. And the result of our going out and being united with Christ is that, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 5, the sufferings of Christ overflow in our lives. Suffering is natural to being united with Christ. But so also, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 5, as as the sufferings of Christ overflow, so do the comforts of Christ overflow in our lives. And so Christ is with us. It's the God who gives himself to us in everything. And on yesterday, we were considering the fact that this same Jesus, compassionate with all authority, this Jesus to whom we are united by faith, is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only one who breaches the gap, the the cavernous separation, the great divide that occurs between sinful man and a holy God. Christ is that mediator. He reconciles us to God. He ends the hostility and brings peace. But sometimes the consequence of that peace is a sword in this life. So that to enter into that peace is to confess Christ as our greatest love. And to confess Christ as our greatest love means there are no rivals to that love. So even the natural affections of family take a second seat to the supernatural affections for Christ. So we are called to love him more than anything And sometimes the result, the cost of that love is the loss of affection between father and children, mother and children, children and parents, spouses, and the like. Now, that would almost seem an unbearable life to some. That would almost seem to be more than can be withstood. Call to love Christ more than anything. For surely that cuts against the the natural tendency of our heart to love too much this world. Worldliness is a a great enemy. We we wrestle against the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And sometimes even our best loves may be so rooted in the world as to pull us from heaven to this ball of clay. And what Christ comes to do is to so free us from the world, so free us from the captivity of our own natural desires that we might, we might rejoice, we might delight ourselves in the world, in the, in the Lord, excuse me. That, that life might appear to be so unbearable, too unbearable, until... Until, that is, we consider what Jesus holds out for us in verses 40 to 42 of Matthew chapter 10. The two things I wish for us to consider as we consider those final four verses, we'll, as we have been each morning, we'll read the entire section, but we will, we will focus on those final four verses. There are two things that Jesus, Jesus lands on. It's, it's like he takes a, a sharp wedge 
And he puts his entire weight on this wedge and he presses it into our hearts. After saying all that he said to prepare us for a life of mission, now he comes to the, to the final point and he, he presses it into our soul. And that point is this. The Christian life is a rewarded life. The Christian life is a life of great reward. And the second point is this, that that reward is none other than God himself. God is our reward. And that, as we shall see, is what makes this call to a life of missions so unmistakably worth it. Matthew chapter 9, beginning there at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, Shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you. Because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them will fall to the ground. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. That's God's word. The first thing we wish to consider is that the Christian life is a rewarded life. I think one great tragedy among Christians is that sometimes we, we act as though there's no reward to the Christian life. I mean, we may have a view of the Christian life that, that says that, you know, the life of a Christian, the life of following Christ is is only and always sacrifice. It's only drudgery. That it's only duty. And that all that the the Christian has as an inheritance in this life is is hardship, persecution. You know Christians that way? Sort of sour. Life is just hard, and the harder it is, the better. You know, the story's told of the young boy that was traveling with his... um, Father, I actually heard a story from William McKenzie, a, a, a Scottish brother, who, who shared with me the story of a young boy who's with his grandfather, and they're traveling, and they're driving down the road, and they, they see down the road a donkey. And he looks at the donkey and says, Grandfather, that donkey's a Christian. Grandfather said, what do you mean a donkey's a Christian? A donkey's not a Christian. He said, yeah, sure he is. No, 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 no. It's a donkey. The donkey's not a Christian. And the little grandson's just, you know, yes, yes, definitely. This, this donkey is a, is a Christian. And grandfather finally stopped arguing with the boy and figured out, I, I might ought to figure out why he thinks that. And he looks at his, his grandson, a wee lad, and he says, 
Well, why do you think the donkey's a Christian? He said, because his face is so long. <laughs> it's true. Many Christians aren't happy unless they're unhappy. Or it may be that we think there, there is a reward in the Christian life or coming to the Christian, but we think that that reward is completely and finally and totally far off. We, we only get our reward in eternity when we enter heaven. But the Bible actually holds out a, a really very different picture than that. Quite a different picture than the picture we get from the, from the donkey-faced Christian or the Christian who, who thinks that reward is only and finally very far off. The Bible tells us two very different things in that. First of all, the Bible teaches that the Christian, the Christian must, it is a necessity, the Christian must believe that God rewards his people. Well, actually, that person does not have a biblical faith at all. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. This is a very familiar chapter, the the great hall of fame of faith. All of these men and women from the Old Testament who lived by faith and so pleased God. Notice in verse 1 and verse 6 the definition of faith that God gives us in the Bible. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what we do not see. Faith is attached to what we hope for. It's a certainty, a rock rib solidness. And what we hope for, we're sure of. Look at verse 6. In the intervening verses, the writer here begins to tell us about the ancients who were commended for their faith. But verse 6 says this, without faith it is impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe, A, that he exists, and B, that he rewards Those who earnestly seek him. The essence of faith is not only believing that God exists, but believing that when we we come to him, we are rewarded by him. God is no hard taskmaster. He's not Pharaoh in Egypt calling us to, to make bricks without straw. He's not. He's not like that. This compassionate Savior, this gracious God, is a God who lavishes reward on his people. This is what Jesus teaches throughout this gospel. So turn with me for just a minute back to Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 5. We've been dipping into the Beatitudes a little bit all the way through these talks. And and see there how Jesus talks about reward throughout the Beatitudes. These Beatitudes are describing the the Christian, what what the happy life looks like. Blessed, blessed, joyful, happy is the Christian. And in verse 12, when we looked the the other day, we saw there, he says, rejoice and be glad because great, great is your reward in heaven. He talks about that reward in heaven. But verses 3 to 10 are rewards that characterize our life even now. So in verse 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice verses 3 and 10 end with this promise of the kingdom of heaven. It sort of bookends. So that everything that occurs between those two bookends are included in the book. Are included in this blessed life. So in verse 4, those who mourn will be comforted. It's one of the rewards of life with Christ is comfort. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled with that righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Over in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 28, Jesus not only describes in Matthew 5 that blessed life which characterizes this life now, its present tense, but he does talk also about that blessedness, that reward that comes in the life to come. So in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had been predicting his death, Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. First comes suffering. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And this piercing question, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. And Christ is unashamedly holds out reward to his people as a consequence of following him. The apostles taught the same thing in 1 Corinthians 3 when Paul there encourages us to make sure we we build on the foundation of Christ with with precious stones and not things that burn away. He says there, and I believe verse 14, we are to do that for our reward. The Christian life is a rewarded life. And in our text this morning, we see that just really throughout verses 40 to 42. Look there in Matthew 10, verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives present tense, a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive present tense, a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I'll tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Verse 40 in particular is is an interesting chain of reception. You think about the days before there were fire trucks and fire hydrants and fire hoses. You know, if there were a building on fire down on High Street or Main Street, how would you get water from the from the from the sea there to the building where there needs to be a fire extinguished? Well, in the old days, if it was 
like it was in the States, you would, you'd have a bucket brigade. Men and women would stand in line and, and one would scoop the water and you pass the bucket along until you got to the final guy who tossed the water onto the fire and you'd keep that brigade going. I think that's what's being described here for us in these verses, particularly in verse 40. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Missions is bucket brigade. The missionary is the one who carries, as it were, in the bucket of the gospel, Christ. And whoever receives that missionary receives Christ in the gospel. And Christ, as it were, is the one who comes bringing the bucket that carries God the Father. So whoever receives the missionary receives Christ and with Christ receives the Father as well. What's being passed along from from the glories of eternity, from man to man, missionary to missionary, apostle to us, to the lost, is bucketfuls of God, this glorious Savior. And not only the Savior, the Son, but the Father with Him. And not only the Father, but the, the promised Holy Spirit. Given, as it were, the fullness of God to mortal man in the bucket of the gospel. And what's being repeated in these verses is not only this, this sort of chain of reception, but I think we have a kind of, a kind of Hebrew parallelism. If, if Matthew's gospel was really indeed written for a primarily Jewish audience, which most believed, then, then I think there's something distinctly Jewish happening in these four verses. There is a kind of Jewish poetry happening, repetition. So that you get the, 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 the prophet and the righteous man and, and the little ones, his disciples, all essentially equivalent. And all leading to a reward by those who receive it. So the repetition of this reward is done for emphasis. It's sort of like on our, on our word process or our computers, if we want to emphasize something in a document that we're typing, we do what? We italicize it. If it's really important, we put it in bold and we italicize it. If we don't want the folks to miss it, we put it in all caps, bold, italicized, and underlined. Well, this is what's happening 2,000 years ago. This is, the, this is the, the equivalent of italicized, bold, underlined reward. Receive the gospel, and in this life and in the life to come, reward, treasure, gain, profit. The Christian life is a rewarded life. Now, why is this important? Well, remember the, the context in which Jesus is now making these statements. He was sending his apostles out into the world like sheep among wolves. And he guaranteed that persecution would come. And the master had just told them that following him would cost many of them their families. That they could not be his disciples. They were not, in fact, worthy of him. If they loved others more than him, or if they failed to pick up their cross and follow him. Now, this could be profoundly discouraging. 
This is the kind of message. Who, who wants to bear that message? Who wants to tell someone, look, you believe this and you're going to lose the love of your parents? Who wants to go and tell someone, if you believe this, then, then your very enemies will be the people of your household? I mean, that alone is not something that we're going to be drawn to. And so the function of this passage here is, is yes, the, the Christian life is costly, but now see the exceeding and great reward. It will cost you everything to follow Christ. That's our message to a lost world. But we also say it is worth it. It's worth it. It will cost you everything, but it is exceedingly worth it to know and love and follow and treasure Christ. And so the function of these verses here then become a kind of encouragement. It becomes an encouragement to the apostles that, yes, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves, but you are bearing a message. And this very message that you bear carries with it a great reward. So tell it to the people. And it serves to encourage those who hear this message. When we preach the gospel faithfully, we, we tell people of the cost of following Christ. We don't offer cheap grace, but in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a costly grace. When Christ bids a man to come follow him, he bids him to come and die. That's part of the gospel message. But beloved, it's only part. It's only part. And it's not even the greatest part. We also tell them, come, follow him, and be rewarded. Believe that he exists and believe that he is the rewarder of all those who earnestly seek him. Our gospel proclamation hasn't been completed until we make it clear that Christ offers an exceeding and great reward. And so these verses here function that way to encourage the missionary and to draw, as it were, the lost to this glorious Savior. Now, the Christian life is rewarded. And we dare not finish this talk without considering more precisely what that reward is. I wonder if you've noticed it as we've gone through these verses here, verses 40 to 42. Notice here the the Lord speaks of this reward in different ways. In verse 41, he calls it a prophet's reward. He also calls it a, a righteous man's reward. I think those are alluding to the same thing in different ways. And then in verse 42, he talks about the certainty of this reward. That, that even the smallest gesture of reception... You see there in verse 42, whoever offers one of these little ones, my, my disciples, because they're my disciples, whoever offers even a cup of water, a small gesture of receiving the disciples, the apostles, not even that smallest of gestures fails to be rewarded. They will certainly not lose their reward. But what is the reward? What is the great reward of the Christian life? Now, we preach the gospel and we go into foreign lands. We, we talk about forgiveness. And we certainly should. But what a sweet 
and wonderful and unearned blessing that is. To have our records expunged, to have our, our souls cleansed, to have our sins removed from us as far as the east is from the west. To have the blood of the Son of God cover over all our sins. What a blessing. And we can talk about being adopted as sons. Being, as it were, brought into the family of God. And though we were orphaned by our sin, now being claimed and made a part of God's own family. What, what a great truth that is. And we can talk about the, the great justification that comes by faith in Christ. The, the Father saying, you are righteous. Declaring us righteous, not by our own works, not by anything in us or anything that we've done, but because of who Christ is and what he has done and our faith in him. Oh man, we can talk about being sanctified and made more holy by God's spirit and, and, and we can talk about that day when we shall be glorified with Christ. Those things are sweet treasures of the gospel. But they are not the treasure of the gospel. Those things enable us. They prepare us. They fit us. They fix us to be able to enjoy and to delight in what is the one true treasure of the gospel, the great reward of the gospel, namely God himself. The great reward of the Christian life is that the Christian has the unspeakable, the ineffable privilege and joy of knowing, of knowing God. Our task is to introduce people to God. Our task is to bring them to the greatest being, the first being. Perfect in all of his perfections. Infinite in love. Glorious in holiness. Wonderful in his mercy. Faithful and steadfast in his grace. A God who speaks and things that did not exist obey him and leap into existence. A God who says let there be and there is. The only God. The one true God. The bucket that's being passed from Christ to the apostles, to the church, to the missionary, to the lost. Contains God. And he is our reward. If we walk backwards in verse 40, see, see there what Jesus is saying. Look at the end of the chain. It's the one who receives. The non-Christian who, who turns to accept and believe on Christ. It's, he receives. And what does he receive? He, he receives you, verse 40, meaning the apostles in its context. But, but any Christian, any missionary, any evangelist, they receive you. And not only you, but, but Christ. And the one who receives Christ receives the one who sent him, the Father of love. 
the Father of grace. God is our reward. In the words of John Piper in one of his recent books, Recent books, God is the gospel. God is the gospel. And this is the great difference between Jesus and every other religious teachers. Teacher. All the other religious teachers of the world, they come and they say, I I have come to teach you how to get to God. And Christ comes and says, I am God, come to give you myself. That's what's happening in the gospel. The entire work of missions is aimed at bringing God to men as their exceeding and great reward. The problem is that far too many men, all lost men, do not naturally see God as a great reward. This is why they live the way they live. This is why we live that way when we were lost in darkness. We, we don't think of God as a reward. We don't look upon him in our natural sinful state and think glory, beauty. Instead, rather, we hide our faces from him. We consider him awful and terrible. We shrink back because of our sin. We think the delights If we're not Christians, we think the delights of this world are more glorious than a God we cannot see. This world is blinded spiritually. So if they have no natural love for God or Christ, even if they talk about God, they talk about him apart from Christ. They're not talking about this God, the only God, and his one mediator. This world is too easily pleased. And this world thinks that if God exists, then the best thing about him is what what he gives. His blessings, his benefits. I know I, I love the way Lewis pictured it. And Jonathan Edwards before him. That the blessings of God are like rays of light from the sun. And that the the joy of knowing God is is not to focus on any single beam coming through the window, any single ray of light, but to let it, as it were, your heart travel that beam back to its source, travel that ray of light back to the sun itself. And there, there be pleased, there be delighted, there be satiated and satisfied, be filled with the glory and the beauty and the greatness of God. The light in the giver, not the gift. The delight in life itself, not the trinkets of life. That's our great reward. That's when we begin to live. It's when we delight in God himself. When we receive him as a precious treasure. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 and 7. It contrasts the perishing, the judgment of those who do not know Christ with with the reward and the hope of those who do. And those who do, it says, he, Christ, comes. Listen to this. 
Christ will return, he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And then Peter has these, or Paul has these words, this includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. Christian, the end, the goal, the purpose, the reward of your believing the testimony of Christ in the gospel is Christ's return to be glorified in you and you to marvel at the fullness of God. This prophet's reward, this righteous man's reward is to peer without ending into the face of God himself. Think of those saints of old. Moses only glimpsed the hind parts of the glory of God. What Isaiah saw when he saw God's glory fill the temple. What Peter, James, and John saw when they saw Christ transfigured. And what the disciples gazed at when the Lord ascended into heaven. Those are but foretastes, visions of a reality that is our reward. To look upon an infinitely perfect God. To see him in the beauty of his holiness. To marvel at his perfection. In the words of the psalmist, Psalm 17, 15, to see him and the very act of seeing him be satisfied. To say, yes, it is enough. I am full. I am satiated with looking on my God. We have that reward now by faith. And we will enjoy it eternally by sight. The Christian life is a rewarded life. And our reward is God. And we do the work of missions that other men might come to know and to have and to treasure that one great reward. Let's pray together. Lord, we take heart now at the promise at the end of your book where you say, Behold, I am coming. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Lord, we look forward to, we long for the fullness of your reward. Help us to see and to savor and to love you more and more by faith in this life. Knowing that you exist and you are the rewarder of those who earnestly seek you. And oh Lord, we pray that you would keep us until the day of your coming. When we shall no longer need faith 
when with eternal and glorified eyes we shall look upon you and see you as you are. Oh Lord, as we as we hold on to this hope, purify us and prepare us for that day and use us in this great and plentiful harvest that men who are right now blinded might by your spirit have the eyes of faith open and see you and love you and delight in you. For this is our great reward in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.